The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone, goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again! Platoon, present cell phone. High Five! High Five! Casino! Casino! Win at High Five Casino! High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. During the summertime when the weather gets hot, I can only imagine how much time you plan to spend outside with friends and family or on your couch with that AC blasting. AT&T 5G and home internet keeps you connected, whether you're at home or on the go, so you can stay connected to your loved ones and to your favorite things. Whether you're sharing pics from the best rooftops, video calling your friends from an outdoor concert, or streaming your favorite show, episode after episode after episode. So connect at home or on the move with AT&T 5G and home internet and create memories and more all summer long. AT&T 5G requires compatible plan and device. Coverage not available everywhere. Learn more at att.com slash 5G for you. Welcome to the inaugural edition of First World Problems, the podcast, presented by Hellfish. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to us when you've got no real reason to. We're a group of friends that decided we wanted to document the high levels of nerdery that we are all into with music, movies, technology, and anything else that comes to our mind. My name is Ray Harkins, and I've been involved with independent music for the past 15 years of my life. And to the left of me is one Mr. Joey Cahill, owner of 6131 Records. Joey, say hello. Hello. Sitting across from me is Mr. Self-Proclaimed Hermit, Scott Arnold, who is the technical genius behind everything we do on the web and recording this podcast. Scott, say hello. Hello. On today's podcast, we will be talking about the new movie, The Town, our favorite movies of the summer, reviewing the new Terror record as well as the new Interpol record, and the true story of Sound and Fury. So first up, we're going to review the movie The Town, which came out uh, this past Friday, the 17th. Miss Kesey, I would like to start with your abduction. Four men made me open the safe. They took me as a hostage. Were you able to see anything at all through the blindfold? No. So Scott. Yeah. Initial thoughts on The Town. Do it. I enjoyed the town. I thought the first um, two hours and 20 minutes were amazing. And I thought we were leading up to something really awesome and enjoyable and something that was going to blow me away. And we never got there. And because of that and the letdown I got, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Ray? Didn't, didn't we just talk about we ratings at the very end? But it's okay. We can. We'll, Sorry, we'll do that it. bookended my section, so I was going to go to you, and then we'll open up a discussion. Wow, that was a 30-second review. This is, We're going to have some... Ray, your thoughts. Yes. I thought The Town was a very good movie. I don't think any of us will disagree that it was, wasn't was a good movie. Um, was it typical of every heist movie you've ever seen? Yes. Um, was it original in any sense of the term? Probably not, but I myself have given it an eight in my own system. So, and Joey, what did you think of it? 
pretty much everything's been said. Uh, very, very solid. Um, I would give it an 8. Universal agreement. You know, eight across eight, the board. It's all around. So it's a solid B. Yes. Or, or B minus if you want to get technical. Or a C plus in some schools. I don't know what school you went to. I know. Anyways, uh, my big thing about it was I think Ben Affleck was awesome. And he gets a lot of shit for being Ben Affleck. And I thought he was uh, great in the movie. And I thought his directing was awesome. Devil's advocate for you there. Because, because people do constantly comment, or I, I, I foresee people constantly commenting on him, like, why did he cast himself in that role, and why not anybody else? Because, I mean, the obviously we know he cast himself in that role because he needed to get cut and do the pull-ups in that one <laughs> scene in order for him to really hammer that point home that he's been working on his body for the past year. I really like that. You enjoyed it? Yeah. When he's doing the Method actor. Yeah. Um, no makeup so I mean yeah Dell's advocate like do you think that like anybody else could have done like the same job as him and then he could have dedicated himself more to the behind the scenes directing aspect of it I mean sure Mm -hmm. I mean I'm sure you know Liam Neeson when you think of Ben Affleck like dude loves Boston like so it it fits I I don't think they're I think I mean Matt Damon maybe he's you know sure the co-star from um, Jeremy Renner, Jeremy Renner from the Hurt Locker. Locker. Yeah, the Hurt Locker. He was, he was perfect. Yeah, he, he was, was very scroungy-looking guy. Didn't yeah. trust him. No, kind of a loose cannon. That's that was his role, and that goes that goes exactly into what I was saying as far as like the I guess lack of originality. I mean, people are going to compare this movie to to Heat until. The cows come home. Like that's the direct comparison. I personally think. Um, I mean, but to me, he had more, I guess, uh, development in their characters. Like the only thing that, um, you know, I guess I'm going to focus on, considering the fact that we all agreed that this movie's good. I'm going to focus on the aspects that, you know, why why we didn't feel like it's like, oh, movie of the year ten. It's crazy. Um, the relationship between Ben Affleck and chick Rachel Bell. Rebecca, Rebecca Hall. Close. Uh, Close-ish. You didn't, f- I mean, like, I didn't feel like that, it, I didn't feel like it led up to the fact that, like, man, he truly cares about her. Because it's like, you didn't see them really displaying affection. It kind of fast-forwarded through that relationship. Right. Where it's like, all of a sudden, they're doing it, and you're like, oh, okay, cool. Like, they haven't even held hands before that. Um, and then also going back, like, the the sort of stereotypical characters, like, each character filled a role, where it's like, Ben Affleck, like, first scene is like, the cool, calm, and collected guy where he's like, all right, I'm a level-headed thinker. Jeremy Renner's like, I'm fucking crazy. I'll kill everybody. And so that was kind of typical. But, you know, it, it was... The, each of those characters executed it perfectly, I thought. So, um, I could keep talking. <laughs> Scott. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I thought it felt very real and it was kind of like a a gentrifying neighborhood and how the locals are dealing with that. And their only way to sort of escape or become part of this new neighborhood is to go back to the old ways. Steal. Uh, it, it felt, the movie itself, I think just felt genuine in its, um, portrayal of that area. I mean, there was, they didn't try to like class it up and like make it, you know, a bunch of good looking people. 
It just mm. looked like people that probably actually live there. Sure. Um, I loved, I also loved the, you because know, people could also probably compare this movie to like, you know, an Ocean's Eleven as far as like the heist stuff is. Point Break? Uh, yes, probably. He's not coming back. <laughs> but um, I loved how they were able to show like successful heists, if you will, leading up to the, you know, potential rise and fall story. Because it's like, you know, like Ocean's Eleven, you're like, okay, these dudes are, cla- like, you know, they're all pros at what they do, but you just take their word for it. Whereas this, you're like, the first, you know, bank robbing scene, you're like, wow, dude, these guys are like, I was like, why are they pouring bleach over stuff? And sure. Like, oh, I get it. So I really liked how they did that to establish their expertise, because, you know, otherwise you're just like, okay, cool, like, I trust you, you're good at stuff. And the difference between the town and Ocean Eleven, Ocean's Eleven is that in Ocean's Eleven, what they're doing is so foreign and so crazy that, like, we could never do that. But in the town, I've kept thinking, like, maybe I should I get do into this. <laughs> like, guys, it's doable. We should not do a podcast, and we should just rob banks. You're sure. not going to rob a bank. No. <laughs> we would be terrible at it. I know that. Uh, another thing that I thought was very cool about the movie was the supporting cast. Yes. Uh, Chris Cooper as the yeah. as Ben Affleck's father. Sure. was awesome. For, like, 40 seconds. But... Very pivotal role, and he, he he played it well. Sure, he's pre, he's a pretty solid actor. Would you define that as a cameo bill? No, it's not a cameo. Okay, no. Yeah, I think he actually made the billboards also, which is fine. But the guy from uh, Usual Suspects, character actor for yeah. millions of years. His first name's Pete. The florist. The florist in the movie. Yeah. You would obviously you would recognize him. He was awesome in the movie. He looked really weird though. His nose was. He totally changed. looked like a Irish boxer. But it's just weird, like, seeing him progress, like, look-wise, like, as he gets older. Yeah. Like, he seems to just, like, his skin just kind of hangs off further. And his and, nose and ears continue to grow. Yeah. He kind of... The biggest ears. It's like half of his head. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't take away from his acting, Bill. No. He was... We'll move on from that topic. Let's, uh... In order to get a taste of what each of our individual likes and dislikes are over the course of, you know, the past summer... Uh, I think it'd be cool if we just kind of, you know, hit on a few highlights for the summer movies that we saw, or leading up to the summer movies that we saw, um, that we all enjoyed. So, Scott, tell me, tell me one or two movies that you saw over the summer that you found very compelling. Can I guess? Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna have a lot of the same stuff. Uh, Karate Kid and the A Team. I saw the A Team. I think that was leaked uh, a week uh, after. Kill the dogs. We're fine. The movies I've seen this summer that I enjoyed. Okay, I thought you were going to go through a list of the movies, and I was about to be like, clearly we've lost all of our <laughs> listeners now. All of our four listeners. We have four? Including my mom. Joey's mom. Scott's mom. I'm friends with Facebook on now. <laughs> uh, Ray and I watched The Human Centipede late at night together. You were saying that would be one of your favorite summer movies. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It... To me, to me, the movie experience is about who you're sharing it with and what feelings come out. Wow. Wow. After That is cute. Thank you, Scott. After The Human Centipede, I felt like Ray and I had a new bond that we can share together. The things we've seen are something that he hasn't seen with other people. No. It's just got deep. That's very true. You haven't seen that, right, Joey? No, I'm not part of their connection. No, I know. Sorry. Um, It was disturbing, to say the least. I saw Winter's Bone. That was awesome. That was really good. It was slow, but it was good. 
Um, I still have the Girl with the Dragon tattoo on my computer, which kind of, it was difficult to get through. But I liked it. Just because you were watching it on Because I was watching computer. on a computer, and I felt like if I would have seen it in a theater, I would have liked it a lot more. Netflix is in- instant streaming on that. Everybody should watch that. Because it's brutal. Last week I saw The Tillman Story, and after reading both of those books, I really liked the movie. Yeah? Yeah. Was it an accurate portrayal of... Uh, it was really surface level stuff, but sure, it was good. Cool. Is it a movie or a documentary? Documentary. I had. I mean, I think everybody here collectively loved Inception. I mean, that was obviously everybody that watched that movie enjoyed it. Um, so I was just speaking for all of us based on that fact. Um, I also adored the movie Toy Story Three. That was incredible. Made me cry. I'm not man enough to not say that. If that makes any sense. Not man enough. Well, whatever. He's man, man enough to say enough. that he cries. Yes, I cry at movies, including Jack. Wait, you really cried? Yeah. Did you not see Toy Story three? I have. That's the Robin Williams movie. We've gone over this. You've made fun of me for it before. Okay. What a terrible movie. The movie's incredible. I am willing to stand <laughs> on Jack's shoulders and support that movie since no one else does. Um. So yeah, Toy Story three was incredible. In my opinion, it was the best Toy Story out of all of them. I also really, really thought, and I know all three of us did, like the movie Scott Pilgrim. Uh, that was incredible. Um, I thought that was... What grade did you give it? Certain people... I gave that a nine. Certain people are saying that that movie is going to be... I mean, obviously, it's already commercially a failure. Um, but Is it? Yes. Yeah. I didn't know that. It was terrible. No one saw the movie theater. Really? I think it made maybe $40 million, if that. And I think the budget was 70 so they... Lost a lot of money on Joey? Uh, pretty much everything was covered. Um, but I will say, Scott Pilgrim was hands down my favorite movie this summer. Um, I feel like once it comes out, kind of like where Kick-Ass, which was also amazing, yeah, uh, kind of failed at the box office, but did so well in DVD sales. It, I think the buzz grew after it was out of theaters. That I mean, they greenlit a sequel to Kick-Ass, primarily on the, off the DVD sales. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think, I mean, there won't be a Scott Pilgrim sequel, but I think once the DVD's out and more people talk about it and see it, it'll, uh, it'll make their money back that way, I think. I think it'll be a big, big on DVDs. But yes, best movie of the summer. People buy DVDs still, Joey? Excuse me, Blu-rays. <laughs> DVDs are a dead format. No, I think HD, HD DVDs. Those are the, that right. won the battle, right? Yes, right. Okay. No. Scott Pilgrim, one out of ten, is a ten. First movie in a while where as soon as it was over, all I wanted to do was watch it again. So, yeah. Good. And what movies are you looking forward to from now until the end of the year? Oh, make me think. I haven't done my list of um, I can Off the top of your head. Off the top of my head, um, there's a new Harry Potter coming out, which will be phenomenal as it is the first half of the last book. The trailer gave me goosebumps. Uh, it's going to be... Not interested. Shut up, Scott. I don't really want to think about it. Scott's the youngest out of everybody that's doing the podcast, but he is also twice as old. Mentally. Mentally. That doesn't, that's not speaking highly of him, though. Um, that's a slam. Movies I'm curious about, I don't know if I'd say excited, is Let Me In, which is the American remake of Let the Right One In, which was one of the best movies I've maybe ever seen. So, pretty curious to see how, how that ends up. Um, it probably won't be nearly as good as the Swedish version, but... You know, whatever. I'll still see it. Um. This time we'd like to thank our sponsor, Hellfish. 
we'd like to really thank them for taking a chance on something like this. They run a merchandise company and a record label. They have three new records coming out this fall. One of them is from the band of Mercy, Big in Power. Another one, a band called Vegas, Never to Wake. And the last one, Between Earth and Sky, of Roots and Wings, which is uh, X-Trial. Thank you very much, Hellfish. On this episode, we are reviewing Terror and the new Interpol. We're going to start off with the new Terror record called Keepers of the Faith. This is their fifth full length and second for Century Media Records. Full disclaimer, I helped sign this band to Century Media, but don't let that affect my opinion on this record in any way, shape, or form. Um, they have enlisted the help of Chad Gilbert from Newfound Glory to be the producer knob turner this time around. Um, no? Paul Miner was the knob turner. Well, but he... Paul Miner did the knob turner. Sorry. You're, you're correct, Joey. Thank you for that information. Paul Miner was the technical guru turning the knobs, and Chad Gilbert helped a lot in the production of the songs. Um, so, uh, Joey, yes. Let let me first say that Joey is a fan of this band. Yes. Whereas I'm setting this up for his future, uh, Scott. He is he is not a big hardcore kid, so to speak. So you have dropped to... out a long time ago, <laughs> but I did enjoy the first one. Yes, Scott is aware of this band, he but the first demo and he's going to be. I really do have the first seven inch. He's going <laughs> to be what I call the outsider's perspective uh, of a person who is familiar with the scene, knows what's up, but isn't readily involved as Joey and I. So, with that being said, Joey, what were your thoughts on Keeper the Keepers of the Faith? Uh, I think it is uh, is great. Um, I mean. Okay, cool. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. No, uh, it's a terror record. Um, it sounds like terror. I think the, I mean, I don't want to rank all the records, but it's definitely probably one of my, one of my favorite terror records, I think. I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's very solid. I think there's actually some catchiness to it. Um, I don't know if that was with Chad's help or, or what, but um, yeah, I think it's a very, very solid record. The recording is great. One of the coolest things about the record was the, Promotion, as if you were involved in hardcore, there's no way you don't know this record is out or was coming out because there was Keepers of the Faith stuff everywhere. Yeah, well, I think we'll go more into that after we... The initial, uh, yeah. The initial, yeah. Okay. But I, I, I agree wholeheartedly, Joey. Scott, could you please tell me your thoughts being the outsider perspective who solely listens to adult contemporary these days? Sure. I saw so Feel free to slam it. I'm not going to slam it. I, I enjoyed it. I listened to it twice all the way through. Good weightlifting music? <laughs> Good weightlifting music. I watched the video this morning. I don't know what the song was. Stick, Stick tight. tight. The, uh, the passion and the integrity and the authenticity of the band really sort of hit home. And not knowing anything about the people involved, it was really like, huh. Oh, That's cool. This is real. Yeah. Fun, fun fact. That video was filmed at Sound of Fury. We'll get back to that. Ray, your yes. thoughts? Um, so I, and I was integrally involved in... Integrally? 
or a integral part of the last record that they put out, The Damn the Shame. Um, but removing myself from that equation and weighing this record against everything that Terror has done in the past, uh, it's definitely the most listenable Terror record um, as far as... I mean, a Terror record is a Terror record. What they, does that mean? I don't know what that, that means. That, in my opinion, that it's the same thing that people say about you know a new Hatebreed record. Basically, that their live show, that's where it's at. That's where people get converted. That's where people see the passion, integrity, everything that you just listed. So with Terror... Each subsequent record is basically another reason for them to obviously get out there, tour relentlessly like they do each year, and another set of anthems for kids to latch onto that might... Um, it's, it's hard for me to be, get like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is the defining record of 2010 for me, um, because, you know, it's it, it doesn't speak to me in that way. Um, but I do think that what they've encapsulated as far as the fact that they are older. They don't need to be doing this anymore, uh, but they they're all still they all still feel compelled because it's literally inside of them, and they know no other thing. The record is awesome, and you just you you feel as Joey was saying, and as you were saying, Scott, it's just genuine through. So, so what do you give it out of ten, Joey? I would give it a eight point five. We doing point fives? Sure, why not, Scott? I, I really don't have much to compare it to, but sure. nine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would say it's a seven for myself. Okay. So they had always previously been with Trustkill Records and then moving over to Century Media, that was, you know, that was a coup in some way where they were the next logical move. And so our goal, the band's goal and our goal at the label was definitely to introduce them to a more, because I mean, they had done, like Joey was saying, the more metal tours for years where they were playing in front of you know, Sounds of the Underground crowd, and they were playing in front of OzFest-type people that would have no context of what hardcore means and what Scott Vogel, the frontman, talks about on stage. When he says more stage dives, they're like, I can't even get up on stage if I tried to, because I would get tackled by security. Um, so that was like a definitive, like, that record was really trying to push them out there into that audience. And it's just tough because it's like, since they tow that, like, they they don't rely on record sales for their living. Sure. They make it touring, period. Um, because, you know, as big as, as much as Terror is defined as probably one of the biggest bands in hardcore currently, um, you know, their record sales uh, don't back it up in the same sense that the kids are coming out to the shows, you know? So it's like you're seeing... If they're playing, they can they can definitely sell out a you know 500 to 600 cap room doing just a nationwide tour um, with a good package, um, with certain exceptions like obviously if they're playing you know Boise and playing Sioux Falls, South Dakota, like they're not going to have as many people. But your major territories or major markets, they'll have a lot of people coming out. So partnering up with Reaper Records um, to because as Joey was saying, the marketing campaign was so massive just from a street their scene level um that no like no one could ignore it they don't have illusions of grandeur Mm -hmm. as far as like you know they don't think that they're metallica like just in speaking to the guys and knowing them professionally um and personally as well they don't they just want to be the band they that whoever's coming to the shows that's who they want to play to you know um they're not as deliberate as like all right, well, fuck metal, let's go hardcore. Like, they're not that cold and calculated. Uh-huh. Um, and they just did, like, a two-week California tour with Bleeding Through a month and a half ago. Yeah. I mean, 
they're always they're basically and that's just going back to what i said where it's like they'll play in front of anybody like they is is it as much a concerted effort where it's just like oh my god like we have to do all of these different types of tours like that could probably switch from a mental perspective but i don't think um i mean i, I think this thing as as much as like they were trying to appeal to or they're trying to appeal to the hardcore scene and that's all I think they were just more dedicated to the idea of just appealing to the street, just like street marketing in general. Sure. Like actually having physical goods yeah. to hand out and a concept behind it for kids to understand, like, oh, keepers of the faith. Like, that is something so inherently simple. Like, I get that. Uh-huh. I'm 15. I will keep the faith of whatever that means. I don't even know who Warzone is because that's where it came from, Scott, for you not being attached to the hardcore scene. Warzone? Exactly. Is that a Iraq it, War yes, reference? Exactly. So a, a kid who's going to have no attachment to the fact that this may be from an old New York City hardcore band, they'll still get it and understand it and like run with the concept. So Cool. Maybe cool. we could have them on the podcast one day. Yeah, <laughs> that could be. That could happen. So, yeah. But overall consensus, it's a really good record. People should pick it up. Give it a chance. And that's it. Do it. All right. The next record is the newest Interpol record. Uh, It's a self-titled record. It is their fourth overall, their first for Matador. Yes. Again. Return to Matador. The first two are Matador. Sorry. I mean, sorry. You're correct. So it's, it's deviating from the Capitol Records, which they put out their last one, our love to admire. Um... And, uh, yeah, there was a lot of, uh, hype going around this record. They were, people had been waiting on this for quite some time. Their bassist, Carlos D, had departed the band. This is the first record that they had written without him. So everybody was kind of waiting to was see. Was it written without him? Yeah. All this music was written after his departure. They might have had songs that were mm-hmm. left over, but I think they deliberately didn't do that. So, uh, with that being said... Joey, I know you were, you, you've always been a fan of Interpol, but I don't know if I would call you, like, dearly devoted to them. Yeah. I love the first two records. Okay. I think they're phenomenal. I thought I'd love to admire... I don't even think I've ever finished the record. I think it kind of sucked. Okay. Uh, and I get the same vibe with this one. I've tried desperately to listen to this record and have failed every time. I think it's boring. I think it's not catchy. I think there's nothing behind... I don't know. Yeah. Is it just lifeless to you? Yeah, it just, there's it's a good word for it. I okay. completely disappointing in, in my opinion. Okay, and I and I sense you're echoing Scott's opinion since he says lifeless is the best way to describe the record. Well, yeah, I would. I'd also note that this was one of my favorite bands around uh, Turn on the Bright Lights and Antics, and I remember specifically when Antics came out, going to the record store and buying that and uh, Panopticon and. ISIS, of course, was going to be my first listen, but for whatever reason, I put the Interpol record in and stayed in my car for days. That being said, I feel like this one is kind of, I wouldn't say phone home because they've obviously worked hard on it, but it just feels like the the guys writing the music are at a different place than they were originally. They're not, I don't know, come back to me. Okay. Do you think it, I mean, because obviously when they came out, everybody that likes post-punk, anything that is defined as Joy Division-esque, that's who championed this band, and that's what got them to the level of success that they were at. Do you feel that this record lacks 
all of those nods to those previous influences or is it just the just that feeling that you get after you listen to the record of not being able to remember anything there is the feeling of not being able to remember anything but on the first two records it felt like they were it felt like they were hungrier almost sure it's kind of hard to say because they've never been like a uh, lyrical master yeah no lyrically they've always been average yeah. at best can i jump in real quick yeah Please. scott you said the other night me and scott had a little sneak preview talk and i think you said it best we were saying how the first two records just had that perfect flow of the songs like flowing into one another and just like as a record as a whole Whereas yeah this one just kind of was, like song after song after song and while it's the, flat yeah there's just it just it plateaus quickly and right the other one you could like kind of feel like Oh, you're really high. Okay, we'll take it down a little bit. And it was kind of like a journey through the entire track listing. And this one, it's just like, no. Did you say it's flatlining? I would say it's flatlining. Is it is it full of soul anymore, or is it because they're soul is a good word for it. Yeah. This one's just there's no soul in it. Are they are they clocking in? Are they using are they using a time card to punch in, punch out? That's what it felt like. Yeah. The. My personal opinion of the record isn't as harsh as you guys. Sorry, that said, I give it a 6 right. out of 10. Joey, okay. 4. Wow. I'm definitely not on the same, completely the same page. I do agree with your general sentiments as far as the record not being, like, it. five years from now, I'm definitely not going to listen to it. Um, I thought the first two tracks were awesome. I, the first track, to me, is the best. Yeah. I really, really, really enjoyed that one. Um, and, yeah, the record, like, by the end of it, you know, you definitely feel like you've, gone through something but more as an effort than like actually enjoying the record i don't want to do that i know i remember oh go ahead go ahead you remember i remember years ago when the first two records came out i would download live clips from like limewire them on jimmy kimmel and stuff and i just remember um that their performances were like loud and it felt like this band was so tight and it's just a wall of music hitting you and I saw him the other night on Jimmy Kimmel, and it was weak, and it, you know, yeah. really felt like they were sure. hungover, whatever. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, unshaven, I, they didn't look good like they usually do. I like. I was gonna. I was gonna actually gonna ask you a question about the town on that, but now we're completely past that part. Go ahead. Unshavenish, but anyways, the because yeah, this band like their their first two records, like you guys are saying, like they was it was. I saw that band literally six times off Turn Off Your Bright Light, Turn On Your Bright Lights record. Like I was obsessed with the band. To the what point. was the smallest venue? The small I saw them at like Kane's Bar and Grill in San Diego, so wow. it's like four hundred people. Saw them at the Henry Fonda the White Power Security uh, <laughs> Guards. Yeah, Kane's. exactly. Um, and so, yeah, it, it pains me to say that the record. It, I would give it probably like a six, same as you, Scott. I would say like it's not. It's definitely not disposable, and it will see a place in my collection, um, but probably just for limited visits. <laughs> and I feel, because they're not shaving... They look they unkept. Might... I know they're... Um... People are allowed to grow up. You look unkempt occasionally, and I don't accuse you of being undressed. That's when we're playing racquetball. It's different. Got when it. you're going on national TV, you should look your best. And I know that they used to value that. It's true, it's true. And now, they, they're not shaving, they're... How old are those guys? Do, you, do we have any sense of that? I mean, they're like early thirties. Early thirties. Right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So they haven't. They can't. They're not like Chris Chris Christopherson where they have to give up on the way they look. But if you think about it, and the first records, like I remember, I don't know if it was a promotional picture or on the record itself, but there was a picture of them unloading gear from like 
like an 80s Dodge Ram, you know, terrible yeah, they van. They haven't unloaded gear since that picture was yeah. taken. Exactly, that's what I Which mean. Which was staged. <laughs> I, I think you really lose something when you're not, like, working for your music, and it's assumed that this is what you're going to do, and, oh, we have to crank out a record now. Oh, wow, so you're going to go down that road. I'm going to go down that that's road. That's what, what it feels like. I understand. I can honestly say I probably will never listen to this record again. Okay, all right. Well, well I will still listen to the first two records. Well, the, gen- the general consensus is that this record is a very average record, and only for really, really interested parties should you check it out. Um, our final segment today is going to touch on the Sound and Fury Festival, which Ray and Joey put on this year. Ray, Joey, why don't you tell me about the history of the Sound and Fury, how you guys got involved? Sounds good. I, I, can, ta- I can take care of that. The There were three people, uh, Bob, Riley, and Todd, that put together Sound and Fury. A few years ago, and for those of you that haven't heard of Sound and Fury, uh, basically it's a hardcore music festival that happens once a year every summer, uh, usually in the July August time frame. That um, you know brings together kids from originally it was just California, and then now it's internationally um, for three days. Bands varying from you know the heaviest hardcore band to sometimes lighter hardcore bands. Um, and so they had done it for years, and it got to the point where basically they, certain people, they had moved to different places in the country, other people had to shift their focus to school and other things, um, and they just, uh, they didn't have the time to dedicate to putting together this festival. So they came to, they came to Joey and I with the idea of us coming on board as far as the Sound and Fury crew, and then basically take it over from there. Um, so Joey and I talked it over and thought it was an awesome idea. And just because we go to too many shows as is. So we said, hey, why not do another show that will stress us out for months at a time <laughs> and have a lot of fun and uh, in the process and, you know, try to keep growing it and make it as widely known as possible. Because uh, before I even had the I the was even approached the idea of like doing something like this. The fest that I, I went to every year except one, and the only reason I didn't go to that was because I was out of the country. Uh, it was such a great festival, and I mean it still is, but the the feeling that you get when it's actually run by people that you can just go up to and talk to. Um, it you know has no feeling of like what you what, like a warp tour or Ozfest or any one of the traveling summer festivals has, um, where it's just, you know, as cheesy and cliche as it is, it's for the kids and by the kids. Um, so that's kind of how Joey and I became involved. Joey. Yes. What was your role this year in Sound and Fury? Uh, well, I mean, essentially most everything. I mean, between Ray and I, you know, booking the bands and, I mean, obviously Bob and uh, Todd and Riley were, were there for any help or support that we needed. Like, they helped us. With the initial meetings at the venue, they were there, and uh, just setting up stuff that, with connections that they already had with like, 
their sound guy and it, you know stuff like that. But after after that, uh, once you Ray and I, it was all Ray and I with the booking and because there's so much stuff that goes into a festival that you don't realize. Because the immediate thing is like, oh, bands, like, dude, that's easy. Like, there's no shortage of bands that are out there that want to play a festival that has a name like Sound and Fury, especially if you're in the hardcore scene. So it's like Joey and I sat down. I mean, first thing we had to do, sat down, made up a list of bands. We made up a list of bands for headliners, like mid-level bands and the baby slash local bands. And who did you get? Uh, well, this year we had, on Friday night headlining, we had Strife and Outspoken, um, both doing reunion-ish type stuff. Uh, on Saturday, we had Sick of It All and Terror headlining, and then Sunday, uh, the day that unfortunately didn't get to finish, we were supposed to have uh, Earth Crisis and Bane headline. So, so let's uh, get back to that. Why don't you tell me how each day went leading up to the event? Sure. The I'll, I'll hit Friday and Joey can hit Saturday. Uh, Friday, uh, it was, I mean, we had done so much planning in advance that I feel like Joey and I were not as stressed as I guess maybe people were leading us up to be stressed. Like they were, so everything was in place. I was expecting to be coming like on that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, leading up to the festival where I would have lost like 30 pounds and you know, my wife was going to divorce me and it was just going to, it was going to be terrible. Um, but I felt like as we were going into it, it felt good. Um, Friday went by with very little to do as far as like any issues. I mean, there's always stuff that pops up and, you know, there was an issue with security guard and some kids and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was, it was definitely one of those things that happens at a festival when you have a lot of people there. You anticipated that. Right. Exactly. Um, and so through the understanding of some people and through the help and influence of other people, we were able to defuse the situation. So it was cool. But I mean, as far as like the amount of kids showing up on Friday, we were stoked. The bands that played were all, I mean, honestly, great. Like the this, reactions were good. And just to clarify, this yep. is the Earl Warren Fairgrounds in, in Santa, Santa Barbara. Barbara. Yes. Where it, where it had been. Uh, 2008. Two, yes. In 2008. Okay. So how was Saturday? Saturday was, it was, it was great. Uh, it, I don't think Saturday could have gone any smoother. Everything was on time. Um, the bands were great. There was a ton of kids. The reactions were phenomenal. Down to Nothing's first California show in two years was incredible. Um, maybe the best terror set I've ever seen. Um, it was just an all around, just a great day. And that Um, was, and that was the day that I'll interject here that we were most concerned about as far as just because that was the day where most of the touring packages were through. And then most of the touring packages were bands that, you know, are definitely constituted as violent and not even so much like their music, but just like, you know, the dancing, the stage. Rowdier day. Right. And so we were like, if something bad is going to happen and what, and I, let me specifically define bad as like severe injuries. Cause of course kids like, split their shins open, hit their heads, all that type of stuff. And, you know, we did our best to accommodate them. But something bad as far as, like, a, you know, a errant punch in the pit constituting into some sort of fist fight. And, you know, those those things that happen when you have a festival-like atmosphere. Um, and because of the, the amount of bands that were, that we consider, like, heavy hitters within the scene, that would bring a lot of kids out. That would be like, I can't wait to just stage dive and walk on kids heads and that type of stuff so but because it went by so smoothly we were just like thank god it was honestly 
Yeah, Saturday was... I don't think it could have been any better. Everything and, about it. And it ran on time. Like, that's impossible to do for a yeah. festival. For it to run on time. And Rito, we'd like to thank Andy Rice. He's an incredible member of our team. Uh, that just is amazing that he donates his time to help us out with a stage managing position. So he's able to be a dick and tell people to get on and off the stage, keep the time, and that way Joey and I can worry about everything else. I was busy selling tickets. Joey was busy doing, you know, rearranging schedules and helping bands and doing all the stuff that he needed to do. So his help was instrumental in the success of us staying on schedule because keep in mind too that this is in this somewhat residential area so you're going to have and it's in santa barbara so these are people that um might be defined as older so they're like oh cool a bunch of teenage kids wreaking havoc in our neighborhood and a bunch of loud music here awesome so the fact that we were able to end on time is is i mean it's great and then we're not going to have complaints which will obviously hinder us being able to have it again the following year that leads us to sunday the last day of the festival yes how'd that go <laughs> i'll start things off and then joey can, can fill in the blanks um well okay what what do you want scott i was i had had Breakfast or something with the regular that week. I knew he was stressed. I knew I wouldn't be able to talk to him yes. that weekend. I had texted him on Saturday saying, how are things going? Ray basically said it couldn't have been going better. Everything was a success. Um, Sunday night came around and I was online reading a website and it said something. It was like at like 7.30 and it was like motorcycle and sound fury pit. And I was like, huh, What? Well, I think anybody on the outside that found out about it that night on Sunday night would read Motorcycle and or Riot at Sound and Fury and be like, what? Right. So it was bizarre. Like, I thought it was a joke or something. It was bizarre there, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, I just searched for it on Twitter. And, yeah. And Twitter exploded. And yeah. Twitter exploded. Yes. We've, Joey and I both, on our individual Twitter accounts, we uh -huh. raised, I would say probably between like 50 to 60 followers that night. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Okay, so give so, me your perspective of actually being the there. Yeah. So Sunday, from our perspective, just because we got, I mean, one day left in the festival, and this was the day that most of the bands playing were of the lighter variety. You know, you had your bands like Man Overboard, Make Do and Mend, um, you know, Such Gold, that were all, could all fall under the pop-punk-ish umbrella in some way, shape, or form. Um and so, and Sunday, generally speaking, is a day that everyone is tired. You know, they'd been to two days of the festival prior. So basically we were like, dude, Sunday, easy. We got the tough parts. So at around, it was basically, it was like around six o'clock. We had about seven bands left to play. Um, there, I was selling tickets outside. Uh, what ha Someone ran out, grabbed me, was like, Ray, there's a motorcycle inside the venue. And I was like, what does that even mean? Like, I don't understand. So I run inside. And then I see our stage manager, Andy, and Joey, and then a few security guards, like, escorting the kid out. Basically, the kid was able to get his motorcycle into the venue um, and ride into the pit and then basically just sit there, rev it two or three times, and then ride back out. Um, and to me, from all of the accounts and stories, that was all he was trying to do. Um, it was meant to be a prank. It was meant to be funny, like, ha, ha, ha. I mean, clearly... That was probably one of the worst ideas. Yeah, not, not so funny. Yeah. I mean, it, people can joke about it now, but, um, you know, 
that was probably, I mean, that was the sole reason that the festival got shut down. So I'm getting ahead of myself though. But anyways, so I run inside, see that happening. I'm like, okay, situations are in control. This motorcycle is getting its way out of the venue. That's awesome. Perfect. And then, um, then I go back outside, sell, selling some tickets. Then about five minutes later, like three people run out and like, Ray, there's a huge fight out back. You probably need to go back there. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? <laughs> I'm not going to be able to get in the middle of the fight, but I'll go back there. So I run inside, run around a corner of one of our stages. And that's when I'm able to see behind everything. And then right as I round the corner, the glass breaks. And I'm like, okay. I'm going to call the cops immediately because I know that anything that's going to happen from here on out is not going to be positive and we need help to get everybody out of here. So I go outside, I immediately call 911. Um, I don't even think twice about it. I'm not, I'm never, I like, I didn't talk to Joey because like Joey was in the middle of stuff out there. Um, I was just like this. And the whole reason for me calling the cops was because of just crowd control. And that's what I said on the 911 call. I wasn't like, oh my God, we got a riot here. Can you bring tear gas and guns and helicopters and sniper rifles? Like there was no alarm from that perspective. So I called the cops. And then by that time I had come back in the venue. I had seen the security guards been escorted out to the front. Um, and by this time, of course, I had no idea what the whole story was from like, you know, the kids trying to fight people and all that type of stuff. From what I could see, it was basically just kids being angry at our security guards. Um, and then once the security guards got moved outside, uh, a lot of our friends formed a semicircle around them. And it was basically like, okay, if you want to fight these security guards, you basically have to fight people you know, which no one is going to do. Um, people, of course, were like throwing plastic bottles and it was just, you know, general tomfoolery that happens when people get in sort of the mob mentality. So the cops came, crowd dispersed. Um, people, I'd like to note that people were honestly very, very accommodating and cool for the fact that the show was over. You know, people were buying merch from bands and of course the bands that didn't get to play were super bummed, but uh, everything else was, you know, just the rest of the evening went by perfectly smoothly you know no one like saw the cops and started to be like oh let's see if we tip over cars and you know nothing so like the idea of like once we started to see the news hit that it was like a riot we were just like what like that didn't make any sense at all um and we had people i'd like to make special note of this as well we had people from certain news organizations that hit us up that clearly could care less about us before this festival happened it wasn't like they were writing us being like oh dude can we do a feature on Sound and Fury or can we do this? It was like all of a sudden like, oh, something bad happened. Let's talk to you. So that all kind of went down. Um, I'll let Joey take it from like the sort of frontline perspective as far as what he was seeing as he escorted the motorcycle guy out. Well, that's where I'll start because there was we didn't escort him out. It was me and Andy chasing him. Okay. And to the point of... This, this was a big motorcycle. This wasn't yeah, a scooter. It wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like a Vespa or anything. Like, it was a... This was a full-on bike, and so me and Andy are chasing him out, and we uh, get him outside, and uh, Andy had a water bottle, threw the water bottle at him, and it got his attention, and he stops. And so we grab him, and we're like, hey, put your bike in park, and just sit here. And at that moment, security comes out for the sole purpose of talking to him, not to kick him out, not to call the cops. Pretty much just to yell at him, call him an idiot, because things were going so smooth, they weren't going to shut the fest down because of one person's stupid actions. 
So, so at that time, you, it wasn't going to be shut down? No, it was not going to be shut down. This kid drove a motorcycle through the venue, and as long as he got out of the way, game over. Because nothing, like, nothing happened because of that. That's why it's like, that's why I made it clear when I was saying, like, I went in there, I saw the motorcycle, I saw Joey escorting slash chasing out the motorcycle, and so I was like, okay, like, clearly, because like, there was no one, like, you know, trying to get him or anything. There was no kids being like, what the fuck, let's get on him, let's fucking fight him or whatever. It was like, okay, cool. It happened. Bro. See you later. We were going to yell at him for a while and then call call it a day. I mean, and so what happens is, you know, he went out the, through the band, the back door, which was the band area. So there was obviously, you know, a group of people already hanging out back there and, you know, just because there was people hanging out there. And so at this point, you see like five or six security guards come rushing out to yell at this kid. And that's it. Yell at him. And pretty much the kid... The kid got spooked. Hold on. Anyway. So, so you wake up on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> We're starting from Friday. <laughs> okay, so the kid, uh, so he's outside. About five or six security guards come rushing out. And I think at this point, you know, when you see five or six big security guards coming at you, he got spooked, started his bike, and was trying to get away. And a security guard went to like grab him to stop him. Again, not to hurt him or now is this stops. sorry is this inside the venue? No, this is outside. And like the well, the did, way, the, did, did the band stop playing? They were still playing. They were trying to keep things going. I will give them the credit. They they knew something was going on, but uh-huh. tried to calm things down by continuing to play business as usual. Exactly. Uh, and so as security guards, the security guards grabbed him to talk to him. I, a group of people thought he was going to. They were coming after him physically mm-hmm. and mob mentality kicked in and they went after security, essentially. So there was a group of people hanging out outside yes. who attacked security? Yes. How do, is attacking punching? Uh, they, yeah, they just kind of, I think, went in. Uh, a couple security guards got hit. Security guards pulled out their pepper, sp- pepper spray. Uh, I believe someone was tased. Cause, and I'd like to interject in here, too, where it's like... Because keep in mind, from... You always have to look at it from both perspectives, where it's like, you know, of course kids can see security guards rushing a kid and be like, oh my God, he's going to get hurt or whatever. But let's look at it from the flip side, as far as specifically from like, you know, because people, people of course were just like, oh dude, they're tasering and pepper spraying everybody. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like when you've got 60-ish kids, like with a hostile look on their face and ready, like for honestly blood, what what are you expected to do as a human? Just be like, all right, well, see you later. Like, they right. clearly can't walk away from that. And their whole goal of trying, of using those methods of force is to, like, get out of here. Disperse. Like, we don't need this, you right. know? And so they, they weren't going in there where it's just like, dude, we cannot wait to use this on kids. It's going to be awesome. And Right, they were probably uh, just as scared. Well, on, on a side note, aside totally. from aside from a couple a couple instances, security was incredible. Mm-hmm. They worked with us to no end. They the last thing that they wanted to do was shut it down, and I think it was out of fear. I mean, when it's you know a huge mob on five or six, what is like, a huge mob? There was probably a good 50, 60 kids outside that were starting to surround security. Yeah. I mean, they were essentially just defending themselves. I mean, I wish it never happened. I wish no one was pepper sprayed or tasered tased or whatever yeah. but you know and, and then 
And then Ray calls the police at this point. Yeah. Or and, just before. Well, because, because as the this is going on, people start throwing glass bottles, and then someone else had the genius idea of throwing a trash can, which smashed one of the back windows. And guess who has to pay for that? Joey and I. Like, because clearly, I mean, and of course, why would people think of that when they're actually doing something? Mid-throw. Right, because they're not going to be like, oh, well, these two dudes who have decided to put on a music festival, it's like, oh, well, the venue has insurance. It's like, dude, everything that happens there, from a broken chair to a broken table, Joey and I have to pay for. Right. So, but yeah, and so and when I had called the police, they had already, like, they had already been notified. They were like, yeah, well, there's units on the way. So it wasn't like I was the first caller, like, oh, hey, Earl Warren, stuff's happening here. They were like, yeah, there's some people already on the way. So clearly some, like, something was obviously already in motion with that. So. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, but I mean, the night ends or yeah, I mean we. Well, yeah. Go ahead. Let me ask again. So at this point, the cops are here. They've essentially you guys have shut the show down, and what happens from here? Uh, I will say, I mean, aside from me yelling for everyone to leave because people stood around for a while, uh, people were actually very respectful to the police. They. They left, they knew what was happening, and they left. There was no, like Ray said, there was no problems with the police. So, I mean, kids were respectful and, at that sense. And we, and, we, and we can't thank them enough for that because it's like, in all honesty, like the level of support, concern that both Joey and I encountered from our friends and just random people in general was amazing because, like, this situation and Sound and Fury as a whole. The situation? The situation, Mike Sorrentino from the Jersey Shore. Um, I wish he was there, but he wasn't. Security next year. Yeah, he's gonna do security and just show his abs in order to really intimidate kids. It'd scare me. But the the fact that it could have been ten times worse. Like we can't thank people enough for having level heads and being able to realize that okay, like stuff's gonna be shut down and like not get pissed about it because like clearly if we had our way, the festival would have been over and everybody would have been happy and it's like you know. The bands that flew out specifically to play for everybody there uh, would have been able to play. It's like I've never, I never thought I'd be in the position where Carl, the vocalist from Earth Crisis, is coming up to me, being like, "Dude, do you know of any place that we could play tonight?" And it's like, how heartbreaking is that? Where it's like you have a man that's been involved in hardcore for years and is literally heartbroken because he can't play a show that night. Right. It's like. You just, we, we really, the only thing that I want people to take away from this for next year, because we are going to have it again next year, is the fact that we, we live in a very fragile time, not only like as a culture, but as within our scene where it's like, dude, if someone does something fucking stupid, it will be shut down. Like there's no going to be like, there's no going to be no rebound. There's going to be no, it's like. Oh well, that that'll be fine. Like you know, we'll we'll be able to move on from it. If something stupid happens again next year, it's Joey and I aren't gonna want to continue to do this because of the lack of respect that people have for something that is put on by two people. You know, when we had a meeting with Earl Warren on Monday, the one of the funniest things that we encountered through that whole scenario was the fact that... Because, of course, they were going to do their own internet research because they had known that this had all happened, and they saw this stuff pop up on the internet. 
um, in regards to who was this person on the motorcycle. So they came to us saying, who is Davey Havoc? And was he at the festival? <laughs> so we're sitting there through myself, Joey, and Andy. We were just like, oh my God, because there was a rumor that AFI was going to do a secret set. So Was that ever a possibility? There, I will, I will neither confirm or deny. But they, <laughs> there's a slight chance, that's all I'm going to say. But so we were losing our minds where we're just like, no, Davey Havoc is not your suspect. <laughs> this person, like he had no affiliation because I can only imagine Earl Warren calling AFI's management and being like, uh, did Davey Havoc ride a motorcycle to our venue yesterday? And it's like, whoa, whoa, let's back off on that. So cool. Yeah. But at the end of the day, two things that we want anybody, everybody to remember. One. It can be shut down. It will be shut down if people do stupid things. Like, we will have no qualms about that. So, we need to, people need to respect the idea of Sound and Fury as a festival and respect the people that take the time to put into it, not only from, like, us as a planning perspective, but the bands, the kids that travel thousands upon thousands of miles and spend thousands of dollars to go to this festival. And we had, like, I think I met over at least 30 to 35 people at the ticket booth that came from Australia. It's like, dude, do you think they're stoked that the festival gets shut down? No, they're, they, they're specifically came over there to watch that festival. So was there any backlash about shutting it down? No. I mean, we were expecting some people to ask for refunds, Yeah. but generally, I mean, we got maybe two or three emails and we dealt with each situation as it arose. Uh, um, but everybody else understood that it's like, dude, this happened clear i mean would Ticketmaster give you a refund if like one band didn't play they wouldn't care they're soulless right so they the fact that people could reach out to so us, what you're saying is that if you email sound and fury today you'll get a refund you will not get a full refund <laughs> okay thank you I, I appreciate you asking that because you were probably one of those three people writing be like hey can i get a refund for my full three days but so yeah one thing for people to learn is that it's it is a festival that is run by two people so respect everything that goes into it. And two, we will be having Sound of Fury next year. Great. Yes. Well, that wraps up podcast number one. Check back in the next two, three weeks. Two, three months. No, two, three weeks. Come on, Scott. Get your shit together. And thank you for listening. Thank you.
The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.